Your friendly neighborhood host, uh, JT Wheatley here, back for another episode of the History of Comic Books podcast. This time, the history of black characters in comic books. As in all mediums, and quite frankly history, the history of black characters in comic books is complicated and a bit difficult at times. One of the first black characters to appear in the comic book was Lothor, who appeared in Mandate the Magician by Lee Falk, first appearing in the strip in 1934. Interesting enough, Mandrake the Magician is also considered the first comic book superhero. He was Mandrake's crime-fighting partner and best friend, known as the Prince of Seven Nations, a confederation of African tribes who rule he rejected to join Mandrake on his adventures. Lofo was often referred to as the strongest man in the world, able to lift an entire elephant with one hand and is immune to the direct effect of magics, i.e. lightning bolts and so forth. Originally, he was depicted as an illiterate, speaking poor English and in jungle garb who provided the muscle to Mandrake's brain. He was also referred to as Mandrake's giant black slave in, in one strip in 1935. Lofo was later modernized in 1965 when Fred Fredericks to begin speaking English uh, well and wearing suits. When the Defenders of the Earth cartoon series and syndication was restarted on September 8, 1986, he was then presented as a full partner on the team alongside Mandrake, along with other classic heroes like Flash Gordon and the, and the Phantom, another Lee Falk creation. At this point, Lofor was a master tactician and mechanic, though when his action figure was released in the line with the show, it was, he was called a Caribbean ninja. Go figure. Another black character to regularly appear in comic books early on was Ebony White in The Spirit, who first appeared in June 2, 1940, by Will Eisner, who was a young cab driver who served the Spirit's sidekick. Sadly, his exaggerated depiction, with his large eyes and pink lips, receives racist connotations today, similar to blackface actors of the time. Eisner would always argue he was a stereotype and not a racist depiction, pointing out that he was a heroic character who was treated with respect by other characters in the story. Ebony would eventually develop beyond his comic relief with the spirit, and when Commissioner Dolan started paying his education, later Eisner would introduce Detective Gray, a non-stereotypical black detective. Marilyn Mercer, a former protege of Eisner's, would defend the depiction of Ebony White in a 1966 New York Herald editorial, pointing out black groups never complained about him at the time, with many understanding he was a standard depiction. Nevertheless, it is not one that anyone could get away with today, and even Eisner has expressed mixed feelings about his appearance later on. When New Spirit stories were produced by DC in 2007, he was given a much more uh, mature appearance, and though he did give a passionate nod to his past racism one, when asked by the Spirit, you expect me to wait on the lawn with a lantern? He is portrayed as having a street experience and running an illegal cab service since he's only a kid and too young to drive. White's origin is also personally tied to the spirits, and it's now revealed he was the cabbie that drove the colt to his place of the ambush where he nearly died. Feeling guilty, Ebony White becomes his willing sidekick. Later in 2015, a new series imagines Ebony White as a grown-up, now private detective himself, and revealing his real name to be Aloysius. In the 1987 TV movie of The Spirit, Ebony White is played by Bumper Robinson and called Yubi instead. He, he had no part in the 2008 film, though, thankfully. During the Golden Age of Comics, one of the first black artists to find success was Matt Baker, who was most famous for drawing the Phantom Lady series, whose cover for the issue of number 17 of the scantily clad character was one of the many examples Dr. Frederick Warburton would use against comic books. Baker would work steadily before his untimely death from a heart attack at age 37 on August 11, 1959. In 2009, he was post-ominously inducted into the Will Eisner Comic Book Hall of Fame. 
The Golden Age also produced the first known comic book by black writers and artists called All Negro Comics in 1947 by John Terrell and George J. Evans Jr., featuring stories like Ace Harlem about a black detective and Lion, Man, and Bubba about a black adventurer sent to the African Gold Coast in search of uranium. It was a comic book created toward black readers and meant to instill a uh, sense of pride in their heritage. The comic even began with a one-page editorial entitled All Negro Comics, presenting an, a first in Negro history. While only lasting one issue, it reigns the first all-black comic with both the characters on the page and the creators behind it. Despite the early racist depictions, black characters would continue to appear in comic books throughout the 1950s, slowly evolving, especially when used in stories on race and intolerance. One notable story came from EC comic books in Weird Fantasy No. 15 on March-April 1953 by Al Feinstein and Joe Orlando with the story Judgment Day. In the futuristic story, an astronaut is sent to observe the planet Cybrinia for Earth's uh, Galactic Republic to see if its people are ready to join the larger confederation. However, the astronaut observes that the race is segregated of robots that inhabit Cybrinia, with the orange-colored robots reducing the blue-colored ones to manual labor. As a result, Charlton, the astronaut, rules that they are not ready to join as they haven't achieved racial harmony like the rest of the Republic worlds. He then removes his helmet to reveal he is not only a black man, but a clearly handsome and intelligent one as well. A far cry for the depictions like Ebony White. The first and still most popular superhero in mainstream comic books to this day is Black Panther, who first appeared in, in Fantastic Four, number 52, on July of 1966 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and who later get his own miniseries in September of 1976. According to Lee, his name was inspired by a pulp hero who had a pet Black Panther, and Kirby originally used the concept title Cold Tiger. In his origin, Black Panther is T'Challa, the king of Wakanda, an independent and advanced country in Africa which has um, never been conquered. It was this, along with being the chief source of vibranium, the super rare metal in Marvel Universe, that Lee and Kirby reasoned why Wakanda became so advanced. However, it wasn't long after his creation that he inadvertently got entangled in politics when the Lowndes County Freedom Organization used the symbol of the Black Panther in opposition to the Alabama Democrats in October of 1966. And it was also around that time when the Black Panther Party itself was formed, originally as a self-defense organization. As a result, Marvel changed his name to Black Leopard in Fantastic Four number 119 on February of 1972, stating he changed his name to avoid association with the group, though he neither endorsed nor opposed their actions. However, by Avengers 105, it's revealed that T'Challa is back to being Black Panther, stating he changed, changing it would be like Scarlet Witch changing her name, and he is not a stereotype. He would still invoke Circle Carmichael's Black Power Movement in the poorly named Jungle Action series of 1972 to 1976 from issues number 5 to 24, as he fought to consolidate Wakanda's rule and the black, fighting black exploitation style villains and even the KKK. When the series was turned into Black Panther by Jack Kirby, the story shifted to weird sci-fi directions, Kirby's specialty, which inadvertently showed a black superhero in adventures normally reserved for white ones. Kirby would leave only after 12 issues, and the series would then be canceled by issue number 15. In 1988, he got a four-issue miniseries by writer P- Peter McGinnis and actor uh, artist uh, Dennis Cohen called Panther's Quest, and then another in 1990 with artist uh, Dwayne Turner called Panther's Play. In 1998, Black Panther was given another series, again, as part of the Marvel Knights line, with writer Christopher Brees and uh, Mark Tesseri, with the client and the enemy of the state stories. 
Priest shifted his adventures in New York City, ground zero for some Marvel superheroes, where he met where he would meet uh, Everett Ross, a CIA agent tasked with keeping tabs on him. Ross's depiction is that of a politically incorrect but ultimately heroic agent, a nice contrast to Black Panther. Priest stated Ross's creation was to serve as a bridge to the Black Panther mythos and the mostly white audiences Marvel serves. By the end of Priest's run, a multiracial New York detective, Casper Cole, would take up the mantle and later become White Tiger when, when Tatala returned to the role. In 2005, Reginald Hunden, of the BET fame, re- revived the series with John Romita Jr., this time with a deeply racial stories in which he fought Doctor Doom while teaming up with other black Marvel superheroes like Luke Cage, Brother Voodoo, and Blade. Hudlin would also relaunch the series in 2009, and this run was most notable in introducing Tatala's sister, Suri. After his series was canceled again, Black Panther would still bounce around with guest appearances, including one at one point replacing Daredevil as the protector of Hell's Kitchen as Matt, at Matt Murdock's invitation. In 2016, Black Panther got another series with Tinashe Coates as the writer, which continues to this day. Black Panther would, of course, appear in other mediums, notably a motion-style comic book cartoon based on the run by Reginald Hudlin and John Romita Jr., produced by Marvel Animation and the BET. The series premiered on June 23, 2010, and would be released on DVD the following year. His live-action debut would take some time, as Wesley Snipes, who would later play Blade, tried to get the film off the ground in 1992, but nothing came of it. When Marvel Studios announced in 2005, was announced in 2005, Black Panther was one of the characters announced as the film's in development, when Mark Bailey hired, hired to write the script in January 2011. His live-action debut finally came in Captain America Civil War on May 6, 2016, with the groundwork for Wakanda having been briefly mentioned in Iron Man 2 on 2010, and Vibranium first introduced in Captain America the First Avenger in 2011, along with Avengers Ava Ultron in 2015, which also debuted one of his chief villains, Ulysses Claw, played by Andy Serkis, who first appeared in Fantastic Four number 53 on August of 1966, created by Asane Lee and Jack Kirby. Black Panther Chachala is played by Chadwick Boseman, fun side note, a native of the upstate of South Carolina like myself, who seeks out vengeance when his uh, father, Chachaka, played by John Kenny, is killed. It leads to his own film, Black Panther, released on February 16, 2018, directed by Ryan Coogler, as he deals with a challenge to the throne by Killmonger, played by Michael B. Jordan. Due to the excitement for the project, the film attracted the who's who of black actors, from Angela Bassett playing Chachala's mother, Oscar winner Lapita Nyong'o as his love interest, and fellow Oscar winner For- Forrest Whitaker. Most notably was Latia Wright as Shuri, T'Challa's sister and tech genius who stole the movie. Everett Ross was played by Martin Friedman, who first appeared in Civil War as well, along with Andy Serkis returning as Claw. Considering they were the two principal white actors in the film, along with their past roles in the Lord of the Rings movies, they were unofficially dubbed the Tolkien White Guys. When Freeman was asked about his role as essentially a side white character, he pointedly replied, I now know how it feels to be a black actor in a mostly white movie. Well said, Mr. Freeman. Open to near universal acclaim, the film will go on to gross $1.3 billion worldwide. Despite its notably political subtext, Wakanda is criticized for not helping help the rest of the world, particularly black people, when they have the advanced technology to do so. Black Panther, Suri, and Okoye, played by Diane Guerrero, would appear in Avengers Infinity War on April 27, 2018, with Wakanda being a chief location for the film. Racism and social justice would be a way to integrate black characters in the comic books, such as the classic Green Arrow, Green Lantern series, 1970. 
One of the social problems it addressed was racism, including a pivotal scene where a black man confronts Green Lantern over why he didn't do more to help the Earth over aliens. Later, a black man would actually take up the role of the Green Lantern with Jon Stewart in Green Lantern number 87 on January of 1971. Created by Denny O'Neill and um, Neil Adams, Stewart would be the first black superhero to appear in the DC comics, with Adams modeling his look after Oscar-winning actor Sidney Poitier, a common practice considering Superman was modeled after Douglas Van Lyrick Sr. His origin was originally that of an architect, later retconned into a marine, who was selected by the Guardians as a backup lantern for Hal Jordan after his first backup, Guy Gardner, was seriously injured. In his first mission, Stewart is tasked with protecting a racist politician, which he does but manages to embarrass the politician in the process. Jordan originally uses this as proof that Stewart is a bad selection to be a Green Lantern, noting his distaste for authority. But when it's revealed that the politician stays in an assassination attempt for political gain, Jordan concedes that he is an excellent choice to be the new Green Lantern. John Stewart would feature regularly throughout as a Green Lantern through NDC, and would go on to romance Kamaa Tue, who is Fritcher's wife. John Stewart also figured prominently in the other mediums, including the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited cartoon series on the Cartoon Network, where he is voiced by Phil Lamar and served as the Green Lantern on the team. In a twist of the comic book's continuity, Stewart was to have the romance with a hot girl, and is later revealed that they are the parents of Warhawk, a member of the futuristic uh, Justice League from the Batman Beyond series. A significant real-life black person who appeared in comic books was Muhammad Ali, who appeared in the classic Superman vs. Muhammad Ali one-shot in 1978 by Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams. In the story, Superman and Ali are made to fight in a boxing match to see who is Earth's champion. In a classic scene, Ali uses his brilliant verbiage to point out that Superman is an alien and not of Earth, resulting in Superman willingly being the power so Ali could face him in a fair boxing match. Of course, Ali wins and later defeats the alien's champion, even predicting what round he would fall, the fourth, which Ali was famous for. Adams provided a classic cover for the comic book, featuring numerous celebrities such as Frank Sinatra and Mick Jagger, and DC personalities such as Howard Chaykin and Paul Leavitt in the stands watching the two icons box. While originally a political rogue who fought all, who fought all the way to the Supreme Court to avoid the draft, this comic book fully solidified Ali into the mainstream of pop culture. DC would make another stride with black characters when they started Black Lightning Number 1 on April 1977, created by Tony Isabella and Trevor Von Eden. He would be the first black superhero with his own series at DC, which was about Jefferson Pierce, a former Olympic athlete turned teacher in the suicide slum of Metropolis. Originally, he got his electrical-based powers from a belt he wore, but was later retconned to being a metahuman born with these powers. A significant choice was made by having him be a superhero in Superman's hometown, Metropolis. However, while superhero often def, Superman often dealt with uh, otherworldly threats, Black Lightning dealt with street crime and would make a subtle commentary on social events. For instance, on the cover of issue number three, he's blasted with a water cannon. While this makes sense, considering his electrical-based powers, it also evokes images of civil rights protesters being hit by water hoses as well. He will later take on villains like Tobias Whale, who, who appeared in Black Lightning Number 1 as well, a white crime boss in the same vein as Marvel's Kingpin. At one point, Black Lightning was even offered membership into the Justice League of America, but rejects it. Instead, joining the Outsiders, a DC superhero group consisting of those outside the norm. Sadly, his series was canceled after only 11 issues, though Black Lightning would continue to be a regular figure in DC comics, even serving as President Lex Luthor's Secretary of Education. Most recently, the CW Network lost his own TV series on January 6, 
2018 with Chris Williams in the title role, while also featuring his daughters, Thunder, who first appeared in Outsiders No. 1 in August 2003, created by Judd Winnick and Tom Rainey, and Lightning, who first appeared in Kingdom Come No. 1 in 1996, created by Mark Wade and Alex Ross, along with Jeff Johns and Dale Egonsam, when they incorporated her into the uh, Justice Society of America. Played by Nafasha Williams in China and McLean, respectively, in the TV shows, they are also a lar- had a larger social significance, with Thunder, Arissa Pierce, also being an open lesbian who everyone accepts. When her parents are asked where she's at, they casually answer Arissa's out with her girlfriend. Tobias Way, well, played by Marvin Cronin Jones III, is also changed to being a black albino, and the series has explored larger racial and social issues. For instance, when Black Lightning was referred to as a vigilante, a political commentator states, why are black superheroes called vigilantes but not white ones? The show openly opened to instant critical and rating success and continues to this day. In light of social events, one hero of interest was Tyrock, who appeared in Superboy number 216 on April 1976, possessing the ability to alter reality with his voice, his power also evoking this, the sound of black protesting. Created by Mike Grail and Carrie Bates, he is one of the first black superheroes at DC, his origin being that of a resident of the island Marzal, which disappears from Earth every 200 years, and his people were descendants of slaves that were left there in the 18th century. Like Wakanda and Marvel, they somehow developed a highly advanced society, despite being cut off from the world. Someone needs to inform comic book creators that advancement in society results from sharing and trade with other cultures, not isolationism, but also a distrust of outsiders. When the Legion of Superheroes showed up at Marzal responding to an emergency, Tyrock originally resisted them, but later joined forces after admiring their acceptance of to- and tolerance of each other. As a result, Tyrock joins the Legion, becoming the first black member of the team. Considering that the Legion exists in the 30th century, they are really behind in the times. This is notable, though, as until this point, nearly every humanoid alien, from the green screen braiding act to the blue skinned shadow lass, were still drawn with white features. Thus, Tyrock has since is really the first black character on, on the team. Tyrock has since appeared off and on in the series since then. Despite winning one of DC's first black superheroes, Tyrock was a sore spot for artist and co-creator Mike Grail, who reportedly tried to introduce black superheroes for years but was consistently rejected by DC editor Murray Boltonoff. Finally, when Grail got, uh, got to do Tyrock, he hated everything from his name. He said he might as well be called Tyrone to his origin which he said Marzell was essentially a segregated society. Grail, as a result, designed what he called a stupid costume, a cross between Elvis and a pimp, but he did model his appearance on former football player and movie star Fred the Hammer Williamson. Grail's misgivings aside, Tyrock still holds distinction as one of DC's first black superheroes. During the 1970s, black exploitation films dominated uh, like Superfly in 1972 and the Sweet Back in the Hard Way. The characters in the film also almost had superhuman features that would influence their comic book counterparts. One character in particular was Luke Cage, who first appeared in Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, number one, in June 1972, becoming the first black superhero to have his own series. Created by Roy Thomas and Archie Goodwin and John Remedian Sr., whose name is inspired by the 1967 film Kuhan Luke, he was a man wrongly imprisoned and gained his powers after volunteering for a prison experiment. Once freed, he becomes a hero for hire, and later teams up with Iron Fist in his own series, Power Man and Iron Fist, in 1978 to 1978 to 1986. 
By the end of the series, writer James Osley attended to shed his black exploitation roots, giving him a larger vocabulary and dropping his iconic catchphrase, Sweet Christmas. Though that would make a comeback, as Luke Cage speaking his iconic phrase is, one of his, is on the cover of one of my favorite Christmas weathers. The pairing of a martial artist and a black superhero was no coincidence, as they were both popular movie genres at the time, with the martial arts movie being a popular in black communities as well, thus helping with the crossover appeal. Later, Luke Cage would get a plainclothes look in Cage in 1992 and 1993, dropping his campy yellow shirt and gold headband, and then go hardcore in Cage 2002 for the Marvel Max line. However, the comic book, that comic book would face criticism for, for his exaggerated black fa- facial features, almost akin to Ebony White, and how he was reduced to being a ghetto mercenary. Back in the regular line, Cage would romance and even marry fellow superhero Jessica Jones, with whom he would have a daughter, Danielle, named in honor of his best friend, Iron Fist, Danny Rand. As a superhero, he has re- remained a regular fixture at Marvel, becoming a member of the, both the Avengers and the Thunderbolts, and v- various to other teams, along with teaming with Black Panther for the crew. In other mediums, Luke Cage did appear in various Marvel cartoons, though his big break was in Jessica Jones' Netflix series, which debuted on November 20th, 2015, and played by Michael Ac- Mike Coulter. He would then get his own Netflix series, as said in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, MCU, on September 30th, 2016, in which he took on various crime lords like Cottonmouth, played by Marcella Ali, and Diamondback, played by Eric Lahera Harvey, for the control of Harlem. Cottonmouth first appeared in Power Man, number 19, on June 1974, created by Lynn Wein and George Tuska, while Diamondback first appeared in Luke Cage, Hero for Hire, number 1, in June 1972, created by Archie Goodwin and George Tuska. At one point, Diamondback even wears a superpowered suit in the show similar to his green and yellow costume from the series, from the comic book, which creates a classic reaction from Bobby Fish, played by actor Ron Chiefus Jones. What are you, some kind of pimp stormtrooper? The series also introduced black female NYPD detective Misty Knight, played by Simone Kissick, who first appeared in Marvel premiere number 21 on March of 1975, created by Tony Isabella and Avril Jones. The fact that Luke Cage is a bulletproof black man is not lost in the showrunners, and he even wears a hoodie in symbolic reference to Trayvon Martin, a 17-year-old who was killed in Florida on February, February 26, 2012, allegedly for looking like a thud for, a thug for wearing a hoodie. As an added touch, Cage's fans add self-made bullet holes to their hoodies in protest of the police. The show received positive reviews, particularly for its Harlem setting and atmosphere. It has the best soundtrack in the MCU outside of the Guardians of the Galaxy, with Netflix instantly ordering a second season. Coulter would also appear in Luke Cage in the Defenders series, which premiered on August 18th to 2017 on Netflix, and had Cage team with three other Netflix Marvel superheroes, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and Iron Fist. On June 22nd, 2018, the second se- season of Luke Cage premiered on Netflix, this time with Bushmaster, played by Nustav Shakur as the chief villain who also first appeared in Iron Fist number 15 on September 1977, created by Chris Carlin and John Byrne. In 1968, an East Village other article ran an editorial bemoaning the lack of black characters in comic books, and Stanley had an assistant editor write a letter countering it, pointing out the diverse characters they had introduced in recent years, from Gabe Jones and Sergeant Fury in the Howling Commandos number 1 on May of 1963, who was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby, Black Panther, Joe Robertson and Amazing Spider-Man, J. Jonah Jameson's loyal assistant editor at the Daily Bugle, and Falcon and Captain America. However, there was a problem with that, with that letter, as Falcon had yet to be introduced. 
Three months later, Falcon did appear, created by Stan Lee and Gene Colan, who modeled his look after then college football star O.J. Simpson. He did play football before, well, the other stuff, and first appeared in Captain America number 117 on September of 1969. Depicted as Captain America's best friend and partner, he was inspired by a minority TV show characters like Alexander Scott, played by Bill Cosby and I Spy, and Cato from The Green Hornet, played by Bruce Lee. Both TV shows depicted these characters' intelligent, dynamic uh, beings on equal footing with their white counterparts and eventually became more popular. Both Cosby and Bruce Lee would soon outside their white, white co-stars. The show was done with Falcon. The show was the same was done with Falcon, though his origin was a bit strange. Born Sam Wilson, he would grow up as becoming a street criminal, Snap, who, en route to Rio de Janeiro for a big score, gets trapped on Exile Island, which is occupied by Nazi war criminals. There. Red, the Red Skull, in a convoluted plot, uses the Cosmic Cube to m- m- merge Wilson's mind with Red Wing, a falcon on the island, and then erasing his criminal past to that of a social worker. He would later team with Steve Rogers' Captain America to defeat the villains on Exile Island, and later craft his costume and identity to become the Falcon. However, Falcon was never wanted to be second fiddle to Captain America, and soon Captain America's comic book would be renamed Captain America and the Falcon from 1971 to 1978. He even had a love interest, Leela, who chastises him for not asserting himself more, and when Henry Gyrick tries to recruit Falcon to become a member of the Avengers to meet their racial quota, he quits at first opportunity because he doesn't want to be a token black superhero. However, Wilson would call Rogers his brother and reject the more extreme nature of black nationalism, even fighting it in the story Burn Whitey Burn when the black power movement wants to burn down the city. Later, Falcon would get his iconic wings in Captain America and Falcon number 170 on February of 1974, designed by no less than Black Panther. Originally, he moved via a talon grappling hook, swinging to the city like Spider-Man. This soon became a symbol of freedom and advantage over Captain America, as the super soldier was never able to fly on his own. He would get his own series in 2004 by Christopher Priest, which lasted only 14 issues, but emphasized his status as a black superhero, and would later join the Avengers again around the same time as well. Most recently, Falcon even assumed the mantle of Captain America after Steve Rogers was unable due to rapid aging. Don't worry, he gets better. An all-new Captain America number one of November 2014 was by Rick Remander and Steve Stuart Inman, who redesigned Falcon's costume to merge to Captain America's red, white, and blue color scheme. Of course, once Steve Rogers got better, he took the mantle back of Captain America and Wilson has since returned to the Falcon. Like Luke Cage, Falcon has appeared in, in various other mediums until he finally debuted in his live action in Captain America Winter Soldier, which premiered on April 4, 2014, with Anthony Mackie playing him. He would have his wings in the movie, but he wouldn't get his iconic red look till Avengers Age of Ultron on May 1, 2015, and Red Wing, now reimagined as a drone, until Captain America Civil War on May 6, 2016. Notably with Civil War is his chilly relationship with Bucky the Winter Soldier over who is Captain America's best friend. He also appears in Avengers Infinity War on April 27, 2018. Another significant black supporting character at Marvel was Jim Rhodes, who first appeared in Iron Man number 118 on January 1979, created by David Michelin and John Byrne. In a retcon of Iron Man's origin, it's revealed that Rhodes was a Marine lieutenant and trained combat pilot who helped Tony Stark escape Wong Chu's prison camp, where Stark invented his first Iron Man armor. After completing his service, he would go to work for Stark as his personal pilot and chief aviation engineer, along with becoming his closest friend. He would even don the Iron Man armor when Tony relapsed into alcoholism. 
Later, he would take up the mantle of War Machine, which was created by Len Kaminsky and Kevin Hopgood, a version of the Iron Man armor good for heavy-duty combat and getting his own comic book series that would last for 24 issues. Rose has since become a consistent character in the Marvel Universe, even romancing Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel at one point. In the movies, he's first played by Terrence Howard in the first Iron Man film, released on May 2nd. 2008, before being replaced by Don Cheadle in Iron Man 2 on May 7, 2010, in which he finally dons the War Machine armor. Since then, Cheadle has been a consistent part of the MCU movies as War Machine Iron pa- and Iron Patriot, briefly in Iron Man 3, and continues to be Iron Man's best friend in the films as well. However, instead of being a Marine, he is now an Air Force officer. On October 1980, Cyborg first appeared in DC Comics Presents number 226, created by Marv Wolfman and George Perez and became known as a key member of the Teen Titans. His origin is that of Victor Stone, the son of scientist Silas and Eleanor Stone, who experimented on him as a child, resulting in greatly expanding intelligence. He later rejects his parents and sets out to become an athlete, but when his injuries cripple him, Stone receives cybernetic enhancements, thus becoming Cyborg. While he would occasionally get his own miniseries from here and there, Cyborg remained tied to the Teen Titans, first as a member and later as a mentor as he got older, and a new crop of young superheroes showed up. He's made numerous appearances in other mediums as well, most notably in Teen Titans and Teen Titans Go cartoons, voiced by Carrie Payton in both. Cyborg made his live-action debut in Smallville on February 16, 2006, played by Lee Thompson Young, this time as a Metropolis high school student and football player who undergoes cybernetic enhancements to save his life. However, when the company, Cybertenetics, is revealed to be owned by LexCorp, it leads to him to join forces with Clark Kent to stop them. He appears normal to Clark until he uses X-ray vision, revealing the inner metal plates match his comic book pattern, and he's and he's only called Cyborg in January 18, 2007, when Green Lantern gives him the code name. In the movies, he appeared. He first appeared in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice in in, two, in 2016, and an email of all things. That movie's just a mess. Played by Ray Fisher, before debuting as a full character in Justice League in in 2017. He is supposed to appear in a future Justice League film in his own movie schedule is movie scheduled for April 3rd, 2020, but with the failure of the first Justice League movie, all of DCEU's plans are now up in the air. And I think we're going to stop for there. Uh, when we come back, we're going to get further into more notable black characters, and uh, including the international dating, such as with Cloak and Dagger, and of course, the further how they eventually ventured into TV and movies. And with that, uh, have a good day, and go ahead and go ahead and enjoy a good comic book. Talk. Yeah, Thunder Talk. We're going all kinds of sideways with that sweet nerd junk. Woke nerd junk. It's topical. Political. Dare I say radical. We've got all your latest news and reviews. Hot music. And a whole lot of comedy. But it ain't for kids. Definitely mature content. So let's talk. Let's talk Thunder Talk. Thunder Talk is a proud member of the ESO Network. And now is February 1st, 2024, time for a favorite comic of the week. Duke, number two, by Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley, which continues the story that finds Duke on the run and searching for the conspiracy behind a failed mission in which he saw a uh, jet turn into a robot and destroyed the, and, uh, destroyed the pilot he was, he was flying with. 
And, and as a result, he's now considered one of the fugitive. And two Joes are sent after him. And he ends up going with a, road, with a little friend of his who happens to be another classic Joe. Williamson does a great job just as a, or part of this larger Energon universe that under Skybound uh, image that's like rebooting the Transformers uh, G.I. Joe franchises and mixing them together in a very cool way in which we basically see we're seeing Duke from the beginning this time out and he does a great job just mixing the other J- Joe characters like when, they, when you see them show up they're perfect for each character and who they're supposed to be and it's matched great by Tom Riley's art, which is absolutely gorgeous. They had this great action-packed kinetic art style. It fits perfectly for this new reboot of the franchise. And it's great to see where this character is going. And I like, even though you know the, the mystery behind the conspiracy, anyone who's uh, experienced with G.I. Joe or Transformers knows what's going on, it's still great seeing it unfold, especially with the uh, cliffhanger as another classic character from G.I. Joe shows at the very end. Just a great read in general. I love, I've been loving this Energon universe from uh, Void Rivals, the Transformers, Duke, Cobra Commander. Just a lot of fun for a chi- of a ch- as a child of the 80s. Seeing these, it's great to see these uh, franchises rebooted again in a, in a great new way with the top brand writers and artists like Williamson and Riley. So definitely check that out. And uh, with that, yep, uh, for Black History Month, I decided to dust off the uh, some of my uh, history of comic books, uh, black characters, and so forth. And uh, hopefully, it's interesting revisiting. Hopefully, I did kind of a good, admirable job just trying to do my own part um, in telling this history of comic books and all the very characters. And uh, we'll, we'll continue with the second part next week. And uh, with that, go out and enjoy some good comic book. And definitely check out Duke, because it's a great comic book to read, and especially if you're an old G.I. Joe fan. <laughs>